Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. Hi, this is Mark Hillman from Radnor, Pennsylvania, outside Philadelphia. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So, Mark Hillman, thank you very much for your support and your sound effects in your intro. First ever intro with sound effects, Matt. We're impressed, aren't we? Is that true? Well, we've had barking and now we've got tennis sound effects. I mean, they just keep getting (laughs) even better. I'm astounded by, by the quality at the moment. I'm loving it. Keep it up. Yeah. So, you know, there's your there's your challenge, listeners. If you've backed us at the intros level or above and uh, you've got one coming up, see if you can beat Mark and Kay and uh, Exquisite and all the rest of it. Um, okay, well, we have our second instalment of Let's All Laugh at Our Predictions podcast because um, we only got through half of them in the first uh, edition of it. And uh, yes... We have lots more excruciating content coming your way, folks, at our expense. Um, And Catherine can't wait. Can you, Catherine? You're really pumped for this. Oh, it's all such a treat. It's very very April 2020, this whole experience. Just just salt in wounds. Yeah, fits in a treat. Uh, How's your mouse? All right? Well, no sightings for the last couple of hours. In fact, it's all gone very quiet, which worries me. It makes me concerned that it's built a nest of some sort. Right. Um, and it's Community. saving its... I think they're nocturnal mice, aren't they? So, oh. Catherine played a little bit of her radio station to us earlier as well. It's not my which radio like- station. <laughs> I mean, this is my radio station. It's quality controlled, <laughs> broadly. Yes, well... It was certainly interesting, and uh, I've never heard anything quite like it, um, and I'll leave it at that. It's like, um, uh, so, what was that uh, radio station on the ship, on the boat? It's like a famous pirate radio station on on a boat. They made a film about it. Richard Curtis wrote a film about it. Oh, yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going to be look that up, thinking about that Because you're making me feel like I'm mad. Not only are our predictions rubbish, we can't remember the film that we all remember <laughs> um, that is relevant. However, not so worry. Is it called Three Men in a Boat? 
No, the film was called The Boat That Rocked. Oh. Um, which I haven't what actually I seen. Uh, Radio Caroline, that's the one. Oh. I think Tony Blackburn was involved with Radio Caroline. No Poptastic Tony Blackburn. Matt's looking at us with that sort of, I don't think I was born look on his face. Well, no, I don't think I was born either. I think it was in like the 60s or 70s. None of us were born. Not even I was Um, particularly relevant. Hang on, I've just got to accept some cookies and then I can give you the the full rundown. That was the word. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. It was such a dreadful dad joke. Um (laughs) Uh oh god, I just want a date. Give me a date. Oh god, I'm knee deep in This is what you want, listeners, this isn't it? Is, <laughs> this is worse than KCFM, this radio. <laughs> <laughs> At least we have the rights to all of this. <laughs> yeah, they're playing the Beatles. I mean, wasn't there like a monumental legal tussle over the rights to the Beatles mm. back catalogue? Involving Michael yeah, Jackson. Paul. I feel like Paul McCartney doesn't even have some of the rights to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But well. um, Mark from KCFM, he's all over it. Yeah, quite A right. first air date, uh, 1964 well, you... for Radio Caroline. Oh, I was nowhere near born. Um, right then, well, we've got full rights to our predictions, um, sadly. And we can start with the US Open some years ago. Matt, tell us more. I think this might be my favourite <laughs> of all the bad predictions. Um, it's the US Open 2014 and you are going through the draws and wondering who will reach the semi-finals. Maybe I will go for... Bernard Tomic? What? I don't know. I'm just looking at him thinking, he has to start playing well, doesn't he? I mean, he's... Catherine, hold on a minute. You're predicting Bernard Tomic to get through to the US Open semi-finals? Um, yeah, why not? Yes, yeah, go on then. I am. I don't know why I am. You heard it here first, people. I can't tell whether the connection has dropped out or whether you're in stunned silence, David. Tennis podcast listeners, have you heard what I've just heard? <laughs> I mean, what is she talking about? Well, well he's good enough to. Uh, you look at that quarter, he's probably the most, in terms of ability, he can do it. And he has to... He has to turn it on at some stage, doesn't he? And that is a that is a very good draw for him, I think. So I think I think if he can make it past Ferrer in the next round, which I think he has a good chance of doing, then uh, then yeah, he loves the big stage. Yes, don't talk me out of this, David. I've made my bed and I'm lying in it. <laughs> Fantastic! <laughs> I'm delighted you are. Um, well, Catherine, thoughts. Well, obviously, that's catastrophically terrible. Um, in my defence, it was an extremely open quarter. It was entirely draw-led, that prediction. I remember looking at that draw and thinking... It was a bit of a Kuzmova moment. I'm dragging you under the bus with me, Matt. bit of a Kuzmova moment in that it was like, well, somebody's got to. So 
might as well be him as anyone. Who did... Has anybody got the draw up in front of them? Who did come through? So you were debating that section and David went for Chilich, who actually went on to win the title. So it was it was the Chilich section of the draw. But, and this is... Funny that. This is, I think, the funny thing about this prediction. Can anyone remember what happened to Tomich in that tournament? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's one of the great what ifs of tennis history. He withdrew. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't actually lose. <laughs> so oh, it right. made total so, sense. Then. So, so I we mean, don't. We don't know how how valid that prediction might have been. Exactly. He withdrew with a hip injury before playing the match that you referenced against Ferrer in the second right round. There you go. There's like a sliding doors universe where Bernard Tomic is a uh, US Open champion or at least semi-finalist or mm. just maybe just somebody a bit less disgraced and rubbish. <laughs> yeah, so there's your olive branch. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I mean, the the comments there, uh, there are comments there that have aged less well than the... I think the <laughs> prediction I can defend because it was draw-led... Comments such as he has to make it sometime, <laughs> I think, have proven to be poor. I wonder when the tipping point was, because presumably you don't still think that. <laughs> I, I do not. He's very talented. He's an interesting player because in 2011, he reached the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and he took a set off Novak Djokovic, mm. I think. Mm. Um, and back then, and what's that? That's nine years ago. He was just 18 at that time. And, uh, a lot of people thought he was going to be one of the ones to really do something back then. I, I remember having a debate whilst commentating on that match, had a debate with David Felgate as to who would have the better career out of him and Dimitrov. And I mean, Dimitrov's had the better career, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, obviously he has. He's he's won the ATP finals. He's reached semifinals of slams. But looking at Tomic's record, he has never done that well since. And yet at that point, he had such a natural game in terms of understanding where the ball should go and off-pace shots and all sorts of things that people didn't really do. The potential was, was enormous, really. Um, oh, yeah. Before Australia was excited about Nick Kyrgios, they were... Australia was extremely excited about Bernard Tomic. I mean, it, it came with caveats everybody was aware and obviously in the fullness of time became increasingly aware of the issues with him and his father and that being challenging and his attitudinal problems, shall we say, which I'm, I'm quite sure is not unrelated to um, to the issues with his father. But he was a heck of a talent and... I mean, okay, you've got to adjust for, adjust for hype inflation, but Australia was talking about him as a potential Grand Slam champion, maybe, when he first broke on the scene in those times, as you described, in 2011, when he um, had that run at Wimbledon. I remember the following year at the Australian Open, he didn't go deep, but he he came back from a couple of two sets of love down to beat Vidasco in the first round. Um, and he played Federer. Yes. I think in third or fourth round. And that was really being built up as 
a big match in the way that people would build up a kind of curios against one mm. of the top guys now, not only because he's the local player, but also because he's exciting and maybe there's maybe there's an upset there with his game. But it strikes me that quite quickly he started getting embroiled in all sorts of controversies, um, you know, like even, even probably later that year it it really started he didn't have a he didn't have long to just be a tennis player who was exciting he was you know he was followed around by all sorts of off court stuff straight away really yeah he didn't uh, take long to convince me that it doesn't have to happen sometime <laughs> <laughs> i always end up giving him a benefit of the doubt that I don't know whether whether he warrants because of the situation with his father and and I I think he's damaged I think he's a damaged individual our dealings with him Catherine I think we've we've compared notes on a number of occasions and found him to be quite a sweet bloke you know quite an just in terms of when we've interviewed him or heard him interviewed and there I do think there's another side to him but some of his behavior is appalling some of the some of the matches where he's just clearly tanked and just he's been on the court 35 minutes or something and and it's 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 not easy to watch him uh, and I think particularly with that languid lackadaisical style of his it's even more pronounced because you just when you when he loses badly it just you just want to turn your back um but he's an enormously unfulfilled talent and yeah, I think it is too late now. It's twenty, only twenty-seven years of age, but I just don't think you can turn on a tap at twenty-seven when you have not got any professionalism behind you, and just suddenly start producing. Yeah, there's something, there's something quite tragic, <laughs> um, and there's a there's there's an awful lot of pathos in looking back at these predictions for young talented players that now feel ludicrous not not just sort of oh well that didn't happen but with the benefit of hindsight they feel silly I mean they are silly Um, but that's something a little bit tragic about that I can't handle pathos it pathos is what gets me instantly it's like when when people win with their parents watching it's yeah, yeah, poignancy and pathos. I'm, this is. Let's move on and laugh at David for a bit, Matt. Yeah, I mean, we'd like to treat this with the sort of sticking plaster mentality of just ripping it off and it all be over. But unfortunately, the next one is not going to improve the mood. I don't yeah, think, Matt. You haven't looked at the running order, have you, Catherine? <laughs> um, this one's really bad. <laughs> So yes, we're in we're in 2016 now. Two two years have passed. Two years have passed, folks. She got some right in between. That's true. That's true. 2016, and Andy Murray is coachless, and Catherine says the following: There is no way he's going back to Ivan Landel. No way. How do you he's know? Not take, he's not taking a backward step. How, how is it a backward step to go back to somebody who won you two Grand Slams or you helped? Because you, you just to... used the word back in the description of what that movement would be but if you go back to to be successful more than you've ever been in the rest of your whole career how's how is that a retrograde step but he's got what he needed from lendl he's he's already he's still reaping the benefits of that time with lendl i don't go think back to him and reap it again. again and also lendl that 
split was due to 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 Lendl wanting to spend less time on the road. I I I think that's pretty unforeseeable, really, and I find it preposterous. Why? Ivan Lendl is a I've proven. I've just explained why. Ivan Lendl just is explained a proven, why, David. A proven um, person who has already coached the guy and proved that they are a successful partnership. So if maybe you, you should work... go back to Miles McLagan then. Well, or it, Brad Gilbert. Or I mean, in what, I don't in know. What way, in ex- what way were those two as successful as Ivan Lendl? Well, and he didn't win Grand Slams with them. Yeah. There were different stages of his career. As a, uh, look, as I say, he's still reaping the benefits of his time with Lendl. I don't think there's much more to be gained from that. I think he will want... This is a very, very different phase of his career that he's in now than that he was in then. I think the tennis landscape has changed considerably. I think Djokovic has changed it. And I think he needs something new. Oops. Catherine? Are you there, Catherine? I d- you didn't need to use as much of that as you did. <laughs> was, oh, that my toes were properly curling there. I don't know what to say. I'll just get in the bin. Good debate, though. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Enjoyed listening to it from where I, I'm sitting. Um, yeah, I could see on your face how much you were enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's, no, there's nothing to def- be said. There's, there's no, I've we don't, all of your others. There's nothing to be said here. One. Let's move this. <laughs> I didn't understand it at the time. I don't understand it now. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Are we moving on? You, have you got anything nice to say? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Well, Dylan, what did you think at the time, Matt? Bear in mind that at this point, that appointment had not been made and you're hearing this debate. As a listener, and I think you might have been working with us by then, but basically as a listener, did you... Because, I mean, whilst I thought it was a good idea for him to go back to Lendl, I didn't actually think it would happen. Um, what, 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 did, what did you think? I don't think I thought it would happen, but I remember thinking at the time that it felt like it would be the right decision to go back to Lendl. There was a lot of time. There was a lot of talk about Navratilova at the time. I think in that clip you were debating whether even that was viable, and you kind of, I think, came down on the side that no, it probably wasn't. Um, but it felt she like, would have been great. But it felt like Murray had gone back to the position he was in pre-Lendl, which was getting to a lot of slam finals or deep in slams and not getting over the line. He would, you know, he had a Djokovic problem, to be honest. He couldn't beat Djokovic. And what Lendl had done was transformed him in that, in that rivalry in that 2012-2013 period. But, you know, the way it originally ended with Lendl, it just never felt like it would be likely that he would go back. And the, and the points that, you know, it, it ended because Lendl kind of wanted it to end you know he wasn't happy to be traveling on the tour quite so much and you kind of felt like that was a life move for Lendl that he wasn't gonna go back on so there were other reasons beside just Murray's game you know Lendl's situation was different and I don't think you know I certainly didn't know that he was open to coaching again for example. Mm. Interesting that you say he had a Djokovic problem because when you consider back when Lendl coached him the first time he was winning at least at least fifty percent of them, maybe more. He won two Grand Slam finals against him. I mm. uh, beat him at the Olympics as well, I think. Yeah, and then in the Wimbledon final. But then in in twenty fifteen, he just kept. Well, I mean, everyone lost to Djokovic, to be honest. But 
I think Mario got him once in Montreal, but the rest of the time Djokovic just kept beating him and that carried on into the start of the 2016 season. It just felt like that was the hurdle he needed to overcome. He was the second best player in the world at the time, but Djokovic was the obstacle. The other thing I find quite interesting is that Lendl came in first time, made a massive impact, and then then it ended. And then he came in again and he had a, a significant impact for a short, well, a six-month spell really, wasn't it? Because he, he won Wimbledon, he won Queens, he finished world number one. It was a huge success, but then... You hear Murray talk now and you get the sense that he's kind of looking at that as a period that finished him off physically mm-hmm. and and, he, and that he may have one or two. It's difficult, I suppose, for Murray, isn't it? Because he achieved all of his dreams and yet it's probably curtailed his career at the same time. Should listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sliding doors moment. What would, what would happen? Oh, I really do feel chastened. Can you remember how you felt at the time when it was announced? A bit like you're feeling now, perhaps. I actually, I, 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 I mean, obviously, I was hugely surprised by it. I mean, you can tell by how categorical I was there. I just, I just, I really didn't see it. Obviously, um, I was, I was massively taken aback when when that was announced. Um, I was surprised, and yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't feel too horrific about it because my my reaction that you just heard there my feelings on it were completely genuine I wasn't trying to be controversial maybe for my own sake I should have (laughs) tempered them a bit and held back but that was genuinely how I felt and it wasn't based on nothing I obviously just read the room wrong but um but then David decided that the then the podcast following the announcement of their reunion that we would this is the second time I've had to relive that clip um <laughs> which feels like a lot feels like a lot <laughs> yeah but that is in how... fact you opened you opened the subsequent podcast with that clip it was the editor's fault it was his idea uh-huh and you and probably when he had that idea you did exactly the face that you're doing now which is almost unbearable i can't look at my screen right now play the next clip matt what i just would just like to say that listeners we you know this is your example we don't pull any punches here well right? I, I might start are, pulling punches from now on <laughs> yeah. we are bringing it on ourselves for your entertainment oh dear Right, let's let's look at somebody else. Who else has done something stupid? Uh, that would be me. Um, <laughs> so we're now we're now in 2019, and I mean this one has followed me around. It's it's my Australian Open quarterfinal prediction. I've got Victoria Kuzmova <laughs> in the quarterfinals, who. Was quite impressive in Auckland, got to the semi-finals. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of it. <laughs> <Is that? laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Is anyone still listening? <laughs> <laughs> but that's the beauty. I'm learning stuff. I'm a grad maths informer. Watch out for Victoria Cosmova. I have heard of her, folks. It's just that I don't know anything about her. Well, we've since heard lots more about her, uh, mostly because of Matt having predicted that she would win, no, reach the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. So, Matt, what happened? 
There's a pause in that clip, isn't there? Just before I go to say her name, where there's like a part of my brain is saying, do you really want to do this? Are you I sure thought it about might have this? been because you had to go and double check what her name was. <laughs> well, no, I had it written down in front of me. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend myself here. I actually stand by the logic of that prediction. You know, at the time we were on a run where there's always an unseeded woman reaching the quarterfinals of a slam. And that was an open quarter, a bit like we had with Tomic. So I went for Kuzmova, uh, someone who someone who I'd seen play a little bit in Auckland, been in a little bit of form. It wasn't like I was predicting her to be, you know, some kind of next big thing. I just thought she <laughs> might have a bit of a break at a slam and get through to the quarters. Come on, Matt. No, hold on. You wanted to be the one who picked somebody out of nowhere and she went on and did something big in your first Australian Open. And you wanted to be courtside to watch it. Isn't that no. right? No, that, don't, don't project Just being your, interrogated um... by tennis's Jeremy Paxman here. <laughs> genuinely. Yeah, you're projecting, David. <laughs> genuinely, that was not what I was doing. Also, by this point, we'd worked out uh, a points formula for predictions. So bolder predictions were actually mathematically more sensible to go for if you weren't sure who would make it through a section. So there were, there were, there was all sorts of logical reasons it's true, it the algorithm rewards risk. When did she lose? Second round? Yeah, she, oh God, it was a bad day. She she played Svitolina on the Rod Laver Arena. And I left my laptop at the hotel that morning. I think I was so, I think I was, I, I was sort of panicked about the whole match. So I walked, <laughs> I walked all the way into Melbourne Park, 30, <laughs> 35 minute walk, boiling hot day, got there, opened my bag. I had no laptop. I had to walk all the way back. Then back again with my laptop, and I just about made it onto the Rod Laver Arena for the start of the second set. And by then, it was it was uh, it was over, really. Because I remember you doing you were doing your daily blogs, weren't mm. you? And I remember the first the first match you went out there to to because you'd gone big on Victoria Kozmova to to reach the quarterfinals. You decided to go courtside for the first round and give a, a proper blow by blow report. Yeah, it was on I don't know some court in the twenties on the far side of Melbourne. Melbourne Park and to be honest the alarm bells were ringing then it was, yeah. it was obvious that this was not you, a quarter finalist he, he came back in sheepishly and he was a good bit less bullish suddenly she um I was very grateful for your your taking the time that tournament to become a Victoria Kuzmova or Kuzmova uh, expert because she she faced Joe Conta in the French Open um, that year, and of course, well, last year, <clears throat> but along along Conta's uh, run to the semi-finals. So, and I was I was covering the tournament for Eurosport, and um, had to do a deep dive on on Kuzmova, which I was able to do without without any research required. I just shot off a text to Matt, and suddenly um, I was getting all sorts of info about his fave. I remember Simon Briggs sliding into my DMs during that tournament for information on Victoria Kuzmova. <laughs> I still don't know how to do that. Oh, um, yeah. what, what I do, what I have noticed over over the course of the last eighteen months since then, is that every time the woman takes to the court, Matt gets inundated mm. by messages from listeners. Yeah, I have inadvertently become known as some kind of 
correspondent who's hanging on every point of every match she plays, which may or may not be true. Yeah, li- little do they know that Matt, Matt abandoned her long ago. <laughs> if she gets to a quarterfinal one day, are you going to claim that as some sort of no success story? No, no. I feel like okay. I feel like there's no success to come out of Cosmova for me. As you said, yeah. I, I've abandoned it. Perhaps. Well, perhaps I mean, that, that was the moment that you felt you felt properly part of the team at that point. I mm. felt, you know, you were just messing it up with the rest <laughs> of us. So, with that, let's move on to our next clip. Yes. So we're still in 2019, and this is this is less of a prediction and more of just an indicator of how David, in particular, and you know, all of us really, but. David is the one chosen for the clip, just how our opinions on Nick Kyrgios can change so dramatically from from tournament to tournament. So this first clip comes from Washington 2019. He's won Washington. He's beaten Dan- Daniel Medvedev in the final in straight sets. He's been in an incredible mood all week. He said he feels like he's made major strides. It was a fantastically uplifting experience from my point of view just to watch it just to enjoy it he's developed this thing where he he'll, he'll it, it's match point he goes up to, to the f- first person he sees on the front row or somebody he might have had a bit of chat with and he says where shall i serve a match point i mean it's, i can't even believe i'm saying that and and it's now become his thing i i just really hope he carries it on because I think it's one of the funniest developments in tennis I've seen in years. Well, spoiler alert, he didn't carry it on in in, in any way at all. No, because uh, this was uh, a couple of weeks later. I don't care whether he's good for tennis or not. In that particular moment, he went and abused a man just doing his job to his face. And that was inexcusable. You can come up with anything you like that is not on. It's not okay. All the feelings of joy that you get from watching Kyrgios above and everybody else, because he has this this wonderful gift of connecting with people and, and doing things that nobody else can do. But he also has a way of depressing you when he behaves like that. And the people around him need to be able to find a way to get him to be his best self more often uh, in order to handle it or, or not. His alternative is to not and therefore to to keep having these incidents or or just not be relevant. So that was Cincinnati, was it? Yes. In 2019? Right, okay, yeah. So two weeks later. (laughs) Yeah. And then a few months later at the Australian Open, I actually loved tonight more because we saw Nick Kyrgios almost embody Rafael Nadal in the way he went about his business. He ran every single ball down. He gave unconditional effort for three and a half hours, two days after putting four and a half hours in, and I loved it. I found it genuinely uplifting to see Nick Kyrgios do something that he's never done before because he's always had a trick up his sleeve. He's always caused chaos, and and I love the chaos, don't get me wrong, but but this was new. This was him putting his heart on his sleeve for the cause, for the cause of trying to win the match. And and haven't you always found yourself thinking, what would it be like if Nick Kyrgios gave everything? And tonight we found out. I actually think there is a chance now that he, he can build on this, that this could be a platform for him to, to do more. It turned out to be a platform for him to spend the rest of the year sitting on his arse. 
like the rest of us. I mean, I... What is it, David? Uplifting or depressing? <laughs> Does it, There is never a middle ground with Nick Kyrgios, is there? No. Um, I was listening to, while we were searching for clips... There are so many you could take, and many of them are for me. Matt's quite right. I, I, I can't get over myself with this guy. I can't stick to anything. Uh, I'm like him about tennis. When it's me about Kyrgios, just when I've just made up my mind, that's it. I've, I've, I'm done with Nick Kyrgios. I've had it with him. Then he'll do something where I just I love him again. And then I'm convinced that this is the turning point. The number of times I've I've been convinced this is the turning point, only for him to disappoint, shock, upset me. Anyway, um, I, I've I've lost count. And and if we go back to I think 2017, the uh, the Australian Open, Catherine, he he lost to Andrea Seppi. You didn't want to talk about him because you felt that. All the credit should be going to Seppi, and we shouldn't be talking about Nick Kyrgios in that moment. And I was absolutely adamant that we must. And you were really angry with me for for for, for going on about him. And then a couple of months later, he had that run in Miami when he played Federer, and he was it was so exciting. And that's but that's what he does to you. He certainly for me, he evokes a reaction that nobody else does. And I I don't know how to deal with him. Yeah, and kind of that that evocation is is so it's sort of fundamental to what's what's wonderful about sport. The sport at its best gets you totally caught up in the moment. You only care about what's happening in that moment, and you're absorbed by it. Um, and that's what he that's what he does to you you throw yesterday out the window and the disappointments of three months earlier and you're just whether it's good bad or ugly you are wrapped up in that moment with him and that's wonderful that he's able to do that but you have to take the rough with the smooth I mean listening back to you talk after that horrible incident in uh, Cincinnati with Fergus Murphy he still never apologized for that he's never even come close to apologizing for that and He's had plenty of opportunity, and that's that's really unforgivable. It's that's crap. It's not good enough. But mm. I was still with you on the train after that Nadal match at, in Australia. I was t- just loving it, loving every minute of it, and the the couple of matches that he that he played at the U.S. Open when he was electrifying. I was wrapped up in that too, and then I felt almost personally wounded when he was so flat against Andre Rublev. I felt I felt personally let down by him, which is just completely irrational. But that's what he does to you. He he wraps you up in it all good and bad. Will I ever learn? Will will I mean as we record it's his 25th birthday today. But- Do you think we'll We'll see anything different in the years to come. It's not once about we learning, though, is it? Again? Because now we've learned everything we say about him in that moment. We're saying with full, full knowledge of how contradictory it is and how much it could disappear in a heartbeat, and our feelings could change tomorrow or next week or in a couple of weeks, whenever it might be, and probably will inevitably change. We know that now. We're not naive, and yet we still get wrapped up. Mm. And it'll keep Matt, happening. Well, what is it? Does it? 
when you when you hear us saying this stuff, are you thinking, are you with us, or are you thinking you're going to get let down again, or you're going That's too just far? Just listen to two hours of us utterly humiliating <laughs> ourselves. There's no way he's with us. <laughs> Why would you be with us? I think you're right though that it's it's much more exciting to feel something about Kyrgios than take a take a kind of neutral stance on him you can't have a neutral stance and you have to go with what he gives you in that in that moment I think my take on Kyrgios is that I've I've I found a I found a bit of peace with him really when I stopped wanting him to be something that he isn't and I think I've accepted him now for who he is and I'm and I think last year was a perfect example, really, where we saw the the highest of highs that he's had, probably, in terms of the way he won Acapulco and the way he won Washington. It was just just thrilling to watch. And I've really accepted that those weeks will come along occasionally and they'll be great. But then we also saw the lowest of the lows with Cincinnati. And I just want fewer of them. If I don't mind Nick Kyrgios being who he is and in terms of the tennis player as long as there are there are fewer of the Cincinnati incidents if we keep getting more of them I think it will become increasingly hard to actually get excited about it when he when he is good because as you said he hasn't apologized and that is that is still a cloud but yeah I mean of course I was swept up at the Australian Open but if there are more incidents like Cincinnati eventually I think there will be a kind of snap and you'll think well I don't care anymore about the good stuff but for the moment he's he's just about he's on the right side and he just about keeps you coming back for more you're right it's always better to feel than Mm. to not feel even if those feelings are challenging or bad he makes you feel and my my lowest curious moments are those like you described in in 2017 that seppi match when I just stopped caring I'd rather be angry at him. I mean, I don't want to see him do what he did in Cincinnati again, but I'm more comfortable being angry at him than I am being sort of resigned and uncaring. <sighs> yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for the last six years with Nick Kyrgios, but he's given us plenty of content here on the Tennis Podcast to talk about. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to two dollars a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, we have just two more to go. And number 11, Matt, is... It's me again, um, and it's this year's Australian Open. Again, trying to predict a quarter-finalist. There's something about Garden Square. I don't know what gets to me on that tournament preview. And yeah, David and I got into a bit of a debate over my quarter-finalist prediction. I've got Kiki Burton's against Marketa Vondrusheva. Vondrusheva! Who's back. Vondrusheva! Who who you absolutely dissed? At no, our, I, um... I did. No, no, that that is not what I did at all. <laughs> I I dissed the the. What was, what was she? Which category did she, she was the come did under? that really happen? Yeah, reaching the French Open final, not because she's not a great player, which she absolutely is. It was the fact that she was missing then for the rest of the season, and it wasn't talked about. Matt, she's starting against Svetlana Kuznetsova. I know it's tough. She hasn't played in months. She played one warm-up tournament to the Australian Open, and she won 75% of her set, six love, Vondrusheva. Angelique Kerber is a potential third-round opponent. She, she's not in much form. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Vondrusheva. It was in Adelaide where she played, and, and yeah, she won four sets, and she won three of them, six love. Vondrusheva against Kiki Burton's, you say? Yeah. Vondrusheva, she'd have to beat Karolina Pliskova. In the fourth round, potentially. I know, but... What are you doing? But in terms of recent Grand Slam pedigree, Von Drusheva has it. This is ridiculous. Why? Why is it For ridiculous? For all the reasons I've just said. Angela David, Kerber, she reached the French Open final. She's playing a two-time Grand Slam champion in the first round. She's playing a, a, a former champion here in the third round, and she's playing the informed player in the fourth round just to get to the quarterfinals. Well, that's all she needs to do, get to the quarterfinal. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Absolute takedown from David Law there. Yeah. You were suffering from my not being there, I think. <laughs> Yeah, to, um, to be fair, every word David said was correct. But it, my favourite part of that was your total dismissal of Angelique Kerber. <laughs> well, she's not in much form. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a take that actually aged quite well. Oh, she's not in much form. <laughs> Former yeah, champion. I mean, it, her lack of form didn't need to become relevant, did it? No. No. Yeah, it was... I remember the day that she lost. It was on that day, which feels like a different universe now, where there were 88 matches in one day on day two, maybe, day three of the Australian Open, after there been been some rain. 
And it was a late night match on one of the outside courts. And oh, it was so winnable. That's the thing. I, I, I broke my golden rule with predictions, which is never predict someone to get to the quarterfinals if they're only kind of 50-50 in round one. I, I very rarely go for those people. But for some reason, I went for Von Drusheva. Did she um, lose round one? Mm, to Kuznetsova, yeah. Oh, which is, yeah. So, it's, so actually, yeah. that's a worse prediction than my Kuzmova prediction. <laughs> well, what, what, what amuses me, uh, listeners, is that when we're at these tournaments and we've made all these predictions, you, th- you then see the person who's made them just crowded around the TV screen <laughs> watching the scores flick over, desperately hoping... That they stay in. Kiki Burton's oh. didn't get anywhere no, either, did that's she? Underrated, also a bad prediction. Yeah, yeah. She got oh, to about dear. the third round, I think. <sighs> oh, it's so good to have you with us, man. Fantastic. <laughs> Misery um, loves company. Right then. Uh, and uh, Von Drusheva, it's true though, isn't it? Uh, that that point about last year that she reached the French Open final. It, even now, when when I say that, I if you if you asked me who who reached the final without prompting it in any way. I'm I'm not sure I could come up with it just straight off like that. It was incredible how quickly people forgot about that. It was as though that it was yeah, as, you th- it was you as think, though it hadn't happened. Yeah, you'd think French Open finalists kind of going AWOL for the rest open the rest of the season would be a talking point. And I didn't hear it even being mentioned in passing. No, I mean I'm, we I'm, we didn't talk I was about it, say, did we? We're we're part of that. It didn't yeah. didn't enter our consciousness no. really to even. No one was think asking what's happened to Victor. Uh, oh, oh God, I almost said Kismova. <laughs> Freudian. I slip. mean, what has happened to Kismova? <laughs> P.S. But oh yeah, I'm really anxious about the labelling. I can just see clip twelve hovering on the horizon. It's yeah. making me really anxious. The good news is, folks, it's almost over. The <laughs> bad news is, here comes. Our ranking projections from Oof. five years ago for the current day. Is that right, Matt? really si- silly if Benoit Pair is in there now. <laughs> well, so what had happened was um, you were talking about young players and what their ranking would be five years from from then. So this was 2015 and you were, you were projecting what their year-end rankings would be at the end of this year, 2020. And your players were Rublev, Zverev, Chorich, Kyrgios, Kokonakis, Kozlov, TFO and Chung. Oh, now I've actually God. I've actually taken TFO and Chung out because you didn't give predictions for them because you hadn't really seen them play that much. You kind of talked about them a little bit, but there was no actual prediction. Um but what you did is you is you put it to Twitter and someone replied and you used their replies as a template and then you'd sort of discussed this person's ranking and thought whether that was about right or not so i should say ten at tennis guy something or other who who i checked and he hasn't actually tweeted since 2017 so hopefully he's all right (laughs) hopefully he's not someone that we've had to block um (laughs) (laughs) but if you're out there Thank you for providing us with this little bit of content that we're using now. Um, so, yeah. So he thinks Rublev will be at number three. Yeah, I could see that. There are thereabouts. I saw him play for the first time in uh, Barcelona last week. Clay court against the seasoned clay quarter and Fernando Verdasco, and he went toe-to-toe with him, actually won the match. I thought it was, he was fantastic. I think he'll be really good on hard courts and indoors as well. Um, just a good, solid 
player who sees the ball beautifully. I could definitely see that. Aged well, I think, that one. Yeah, so well, so I was saying Rublev would end the year three. world number three. Yeah, could still happen. Is that what I said? Mm. I mean, he'd probably only need one big result now. <laughs> I'm probably thinking in 2015 that uh, Nadal and Federer are no longer active players. Yeah. I, I, I suspect, yeah. for a start. Um, and what what is he around? About seven or eight now? Something like that? No, um, I think he's, he's, he's about there just in the race. outside the top ten. Yeah, higher in the race. Hmm. Okay, I mean, well, I'm going to take that as a as a win. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's all right. I mean, let's remember he had he had close to close to a year out with injury, didn't he? After that, he had that run uh, at the U.S. Open to the quarters, um, ended up playing the doll in the quarters, didn't he? And then had a, was it a foot injury? No, back injury. He had a stress fracture to his back, I think. Um, and yeah, had a had a real, um, I mean, challenging and distressing, but character building time on the sidelines, which kind of reinvigorated his love for the game. I think he actually talked about being de- quite depressed during that period. So yeah. um, adjusting for that, I mean, I... I, I why am I making predictions on this show? Well, it's a <laughs> stupid thing to do. I I think he should be a future world number three. Hmm. Yeah. Why are we making predictions? I mean, I, I went because big I, on him this year, didn't do. I? Not knowing that yeah. this year just wouldn't be a thing. Um, <laughs> but had this year been a thing, I I I went pretty big on Reblev for 2020. Yeah. I, had, I certainly had him in my ATP finals field. Right. So what we got well, next? I, I, you've done all right there, David. Mm. Yes, he's fourteen in the world See, currently. That is the best. That is the best prediction we've had on these two shows. Mm. Mm. Oh. oh yeah. See. Right. Let's have some more. Uh, Zverev. He says eighteen. Zverev has dominated the junior circuit for the last couple of years. Um, certainly looks the part, but he's saying eighteen for Zverev. I haven't seen enough of Zverev to, to confidently predict, but I would have thought he'd be higher than that. He, he looks a better player than 18 in the world to me. That was really good. Keeping it vague, clever. Well, above 18 in the world he is, isn't he? It's like um, Bruce's price is right. Is that the higher or lower one? <laughs> yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is a better player than 18 in the world. Confirmed. I think the first, I mean, by then we'd heard a lot of hype about him already, I think, you know, just just from the junior game as much as anything. But actually the first time I properly saw him play a big match against um, a seasoned player was when he played Andy Murray in the first round of the Australian Open about seven or eight months later. And he got absolutely thrashed. Murray beat him 6-1, 6-2, 6-3. But, you know, within two years of that, within a year of that, he was already... Really knocking at the door, wasn't he? Um, so, yeah. Oh, this is good. I'm quite enjoying this. Well, savour that one, David. <laughs> because. Now he says Chorich at number one. In five years' time, Borna Chorich will be world number one. I think he'll be in the top five. I don't think he'll necessarily be number one. He could be. Um, and there are, I know what people think there are the similarities to Djokovic in certain ways. I actually think in some ways there are not, he's not unlike Nadal in some ways, even though he's right-handed. But I, I wouldn't confidently predict number one. 
<laughs> Borna Chorich, the Djokovic-Nadal hybrid, coming your way in 2021. The thing is, if you think back then, he'd hadn't he had himself a couple of really big Oh, yeah. Wins? He beat Murray. He beat uh, Murray in Dubai. Twice. And he beat, I think he beat Nadal in Basel the, he did, in 2014. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd seen him for the first time properly in the Davis Cup against Great Britain in Umag in Croatia in 2014, in September of 2014. I remember he he was just thrown into this tie because of an injury to somebody else. And uh, he was only 17 at the time, and I remember him, Murray being in the press of this was after, no, 2013. So Murray had just won Wimbledon, and we'd all gone and played the US Open, we'd all gone there. And uh, Murray was asked where, whether he thought that this could be a good learning experience that Chorich might enjoy. And Murray just goes, well, he's not going to enjoy it. <laughs> no way. Um, and in the f- second point of the match, they had a 57-stroke rally that, uh, that Chorich won. Um, but Chorich was not the same player after that rally. Um, <laughs> but you could see immediately how physically was but he, his actual game, I mean, he, his career high to date is 12 in the world. So, I mean, I'm some way off. I mean, he, he, I was saying top five. And actually, his, I mean, he's had, he's had some bad injuries recently, hasn't he? But even, even despite that, his game just doesn't look top five material. It, it hasn't looked top five material, really, in the five years that have passed, I don't think. Do you? There was a period in 2018... Well, I was so impressed with Chorich. The second half of the season, starting really, well, all season really, got to the Indian Wells semi, and then he beat Federer on grass in Halle in the final, which was an in, you know an, an incredible win, really. And then he got to the Shanghai final later that year. These are the kind of things that you know certainly a top 10 player would be doing. And he won the Davis Cup final for Croatia as well. But last year he was pretty disappointing I thought I, I think a lot of it was injuries but I I'd expected him to kick on last year so there've been there've been moments where I really thought his game didn't look up to it in terms of you know his forehands is, is a bit dodgy I think but then there have been moments where I've been really impressed with him he's beefed up his serve so I'm not really sure what to think of Chorich but I do think that I do think in 2014 2015 was around the time when he was he was t- he, he gave this quote where he said that when he plays well he's like Djokovic and when he plays badly he's like Murray and I just don't think it aged particularly well because no. th- the point he was trying to make is he gets too defensive when he plays badly and you know that had been the point that a lot of people have made about Murray that he needs to be more offensive but to just give a throwaway comment like that I think he never gives comments like that now I think he I think he got a bit of stick for that um, and he's kind of changed the way he talks a bit. I mean, I think if you'd polled tennis pundits, commentators, anyone involved in tennis five years ago and asked them whether Borna Chorich would be a top five player in 2020, most would have said yes. Mm. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think I would have thought he was a world number one. Um, but he he... He made big waves of of like the that young crop that we're discussing. He had the big results really early, really young. You know, beating Nadal. I think he was seventeen when he beat Nadal 
in Basel, that was a huge, huge deal. There was a period of four or five months when there was massive hype around him because um, he he seemed to ba- you know back it up by but with that win over over Andy Murray in Dubai was that yeah. yeah. Um, so I think most people would have seen him as a a top five player by now, and, and, and he's, he he was doing it though he, against players at tournaments where they don't peak, and I think that that probably oh yeah it was slightly... it was it was hugely premature, but but he has been a disappointment, and I think he has been a disappointment to himself. I think he's really struggled um, mentally and emotionally over the last year or two and is it from from what i've seen press conferences and so on matt i think you went to his press conference after he lost in australia this year and he seems at a real loss oh, about yeah. what's going on it and was, why why the results aren't coming it was quite sad actually there was he was in one of the small rooms there was just him and i don't know two or three journalists and he came out with this phrase where he said i go onto the court expecting to lose mm I think he's I think he's quite smart, Borna Church, and I think he's somebody that's in his own head a mm. lot. And if you're over analytical and things are going badly, that can be that can be hard and I I feel for him. Um wow, m- more m- more sad pathos, great. <laughs> Let's see what else we can come up with. I was just going to say I think another part of this is that it seems that around that time, you know, we talked in the other show about Nishikori and Dimitrov. All around that 2014-15 period, I go back to this, there was there was both an expectation that the Big Four would be departing soon. But also, I think there was a little bit of people wanting that to happen. I think people were starting to actually... Not not get bored of the big four, but they were starting to think, right, come on, give me give me something else, give me something a bit new. And I think we've probably got that we've probably had that in the years since as well, with the next gen, Sitsapas, Verev. We've talked about those players in those terms as well. And I think part of it is a is kind of pushing your desires of what you want yeah. to happen. We were all looking, weren't we? We were searching. Is this yeah. the one? Is he the one? Is this the next rivalry? Especially us. <laughs> um Right, okay, what we got next? Let's have a look. Well, how about Kyrgios at number two then? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think he could, he, he's going to be in the top ten if he's fully fit, no question. But I think there's that big question mark over how fit he'll stay. If he's fully fit, I think he'll be in the top ten and he'll have won a Grand Slam. Well, no question. was he fully fit? Was he fully fit? Is the question, you know. I mean, That's it's definitely bit... been what's held him back. <laughs> By that time, we hadn't had his uh, tank in Shanghai, had we? No. Uh, and I th- no. And had we even had that awful incident of his with um, with Vavrinka and no, Donovic? That, that was later nope. that year. Yeah, I mean, and his career high is 13 in the world, which is a massive underachievement in terms of his talents. Five years ago, if somebody had told me that Kyrgios wouldn't get higher than 13 in the world, given that by then he'd already knocked Nadal out of Wimbledon and all that sort of thing, I would have been really shocked. And yet, and I'm making the point about the injuries, but I didn't think at that stage that his his own mental issues and his own commitment issues would be that 
significant that they would they would make, become a factor in his career. I, I wouldn't have expected that at all. I loved how excited you were about him, though. Even then, you know, Catherine mm. goes number three, and there's a little ooh in your, you know, just in your voice. Just you sort of. Even yeah. then, he was an I re- exciting I remember player. the first time I, I ever saw him play. I think he got a wild card. I can't remember. I think maybe at the Australian Open or the US Open. I just remember him being on a on an outside court or, or you know, the second or third courts, um, one of those. And he he was playing an, an established player and he just – he ran out of steam really. But his serve was keeping him, keep, keeping him in it. But what I just remembered was the way he would milk the crowd. He wasn't doing any of the tricks that he does now and that sort of thing. But he just had a sense of timing. I loved his sense of of timing with a crowd, of how to – and I'd seen this in my early years of really being interested in tennis from Jimmy Connors, this ability to just sense a moment with a crowd where if you do something, they're going to go with you and they're going to be all on your side. And he he did have that ability to – I just I I loved him from from the start really uh, in term, but I also thought thought the potential was that much greater than it's turned into, um, and and what you were saying earlier about him about adjusting your expectations is something that I occasionally am able to do, but I still find myself falling into the trap, and I don't I don't know when that will stop. Probably won't. Can we get to Kozlov? I'm very, very, very anxious about what we might well, have said about Kozlov. There's one more before that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's God. let's just let's just crack on. Now, next up is the one that I disagree with most wholeheartedly, because um, generally I think at tennis guy 015 has done done a pretty good job here, but Kokinakis at 34. I don't agree there. Unless he's been suffering from injury for for the preceding year or something, I see Kokonakis is far higher than that, all, all being well. Yeah, me too. No question about it. I, I think Kokonakis is possibly the one I'm most excited about out of all of them. Um, and he has no obvious weakness. I don't think he's going to get necessarily really badly injured easily either. Um of all of them, he's the one I'm most excited about. I'd put him at number one. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not laughing at you, Tanasi, because I, I am absolutely... basically been bedridden for the last four years. I'm broken-hearted yeah. for Tanasi Kokonar, because I really am, and I'm not laughing at him at all. I'm laughing at my own ineptitude. and um, Well, it's just bad luck, isn't it? But Because he was such an exciting player back then, because he he had the perfect sort of 21st century young players game he had the physique he had the power and I just thought he wasn't going to go off the rails I didn't think he would I thought he would be a lovely combo of of Kyrgios and Zverev and those sort of players all in one and the poor guy's body has just completely fallen apart and it's such a shame uh, I think what what is it? What's his career high ranking? Sixty nine in the world. Yeah, I had a similar, similarly memorable memorable moment to you watching Kokinakis play live for the first time. It was at the Australian Open first round. It was a late, a sort of twilight session match. Went on late into the evening against Ernest Gulbis. Um, went to five sets. I want to say twenty seventeen. Um, 
And I mean, that's my favourite court at the Australian Open, court number three. Um, and it was just electrifying. I mean, you can imagine some of the shot making going on with, with Gulbis involved. It was that tournament where I think his kit sponsor was Adidas and they had that fluoro. I remember it was like flame coloured fluoro kit. Maybe it was Nike. Um, but anyway, that, that really stuck in my mind because he just set that court on fire. I mean, obviously, it's, it's in a slightly less flamboyant way than, than the way Nick Kyrgios does it. Um, but he, he had that same ability to make people go with him and make them care. Um, something just so likable and relatable about him on the court. And, um, it's, it's devastating what's happened to him. I remember doing a, a sit down interview with him at, at Queens a couple of years ago when he was on his comeback trail at the time and he just scored a win over who was it he beat in the first round. Raonic? Raonic, yeah. And that was a huge, de- huge deal for him at the time. And he was so open um, uh, in a in a pretty heartbreaking way, really, about what he'd been through. Um, but obviously it was, it was tinged with, with hope and expectation and optimism about the future. So for it, from then to, to suffer subsequent injuries and it just feels like... It's one step forward, two steps back for him. And um, hey, maybe he's somebody that could benefit from this period. Maybe. Only 20, I, 24, 24 yeah, years uh, of age. Because by his own admission, in his eagerness to to get back out there, especially with that feeling of losing ground, you know, he's, he's close to Nick Kyrgios, he's close to other young players, seeing all of them out there making strides or some strides in Kyrgios's case and feeling like you're you're going nowhere or even worse going backwards that must be so hard but he's got some time to 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 gain some ground now I suppose or at least catch back up I don't know it'd be it'd be great to see I do I but sorry the point I um talked to myself out of making there is I think he has admitted that he feels like he's come back too soon um, from a few of the injuries he's had. He's pushed himself to come back too early, whether that be just to be able to play the Australian summer season um, or just out of eagerness to to get back out on the tour. And, and that's probably done him damage in the long run. But a long period like this to, to try and get his body right without losing ground could be good for him. I'd love to see it. I'd love to. Mm. Same. Same here. Right, let's have our final one, shall we? Well, the one that uh, Tennis Guy 015 has not predicted uh, in that list is Stefan Kozlov. Where do you see him being end of year 2020? Um, I don't know. I well, this is your question, yeah. David. You've got to know well, the answer. I want everybody else to tell me because I don't know. Uh, no, I think... Top 10? Top 20. I, I, I think the question mark is he's not that big. He, not that you have to be. He's still only about nine years old, though. There could be some growing <laughs> left in him. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll stay with top 20 because I think I'm on safer ground. So, I'm just having to look 20. him up on the ATP website to remind myself what he looks like. <laughs> safer ground with top 20. His career high ranking is 115. Um, and current ranking is 386. Oh, my God. Yeah. 22 years of age and I mean 
this is a, just a total lie. It says <laughs> that his height is six foot. Yeah, that's just not <laughs> um, true, is it? No, no, it's just not true. Um, but, you know, the reason people were very excited about him, one of the reasons was because John McEnroe, talked him up a lot as a player with talent because I think he practiced with him through his management company and, and all that sort of sort of thing and liked him, you know, liked the way he played, played with touch and feel. There there have been other players like that, like Donald Jung, who McEnroe, again, just appreciated because of the way they, they played the sport. And I would watch out for Kozlov's results because I think he had prodigious junior results. I think he I think he might have been a world junior number one or or won a junior slam. Um, and it's an example of how how that transition isn't a, is not a to use those words foregone conclusion. Um, I've seen him play in the challenger circuit since then, and you realise just what a rat race it is trying to get out of that circuit and have enough results that you can get on the proper tour. Um, it's it's just brutal, really, and. I don't know. I don't know enough about him as a person and what he's been through. Whether he's had injury problems, but he just comes across as overall underpowered where, compared to the rest of the circuit. He's still only twenty-two. Could happen. Mm. Because it feels mm. weird that he's like looking at it now that he's actually in this group. Mm. You know, because okay, some of the predictions might have been a bit off, but. At least you were, you know, you were talking about the right people: Rublev, Zverev, Kyrgios, Chorich. He recently Chorich. had a moment. I think it's just what David was saying. Just people, right. people knew about him right. because he's won. He's only won five matches on the ATP tour, Ooh. and <laughs> interestingly, all of them on grass. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, to look at him now compared to the other names that we've talked about, it's 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 staggering that he was actually part of that crop. Yeah, in his junior career, he reached two junior Grand Slams where he lost to Zverev at the Australian Open and Noah Rubin at Wimbledon. Those were his uh, his big junior results. But I mean, you know, he did that when he was in 2014 when he would have only been, you know, 16, 15, 16 years of age. Quick um, bit of that, maths there from why, David Law. Yeah, um, not the best with the old maths. Um, but yeah, that, I think that that's probably why. And like I say, the hype through having practice with someone like McEnroe and you know you get you get hyped uh with all that sort of thing um but the truth is he he hasn't been able to to break through um and and we there are so many like that we've we've occasionally looked at the the list of junior world number ones or junior grand slam champions haven't we and there'll be there'll be several that you go oh yeah no he'll know all about him or her and then there'll be some that you've just literally never heard of um, yeah, everyone's still waiting so, for Ricardus Barankis's big moment. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Catherine finally gets her revenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that I've got an agenda there or anything. <laughs> if you don't know what we're referring to, just go back in time. Uh, I keep getting accused on Twitter there. of having agendas. Well, yes, I do have an agenda against Ricardus Barankis. <laughs> he um, insulted my dignity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, folks, that's been a thoroughly enjoyable two and a quarter hours of utter abject humiliation. And um, we hope you've enjoyed it with us. Um, and, the, I mean, to be fair, Matt, there's probably quite a lot on the cutting room floor as well. Yeah, I think, I think that would be fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you've got to pick the best ones. It's coming yes. to something when a mouse infestation isn't the worst part of my day. 
<laughs> but I should say we, you know, we do occasionally get them right as well. Um, we just haven't put them in this because that's not what this one's about. It's just this not as about... fun, really, when you get it right, is it? No, no. Who wants to get them right? Well, me um, now, <laughs> a lot. We're, we're going to point out some of Catherine's su- predictions you've ever heard for the next five years. Some of years. Catherine's successes are coming no, soon here on the tennis podcast. <laughs> Yeah, your mouse writing checks, your body can't cash, David. <laughs> Whoa, bit of Top Gun there. Um, right, okay, well, Catherine, lovely to uh, to talk through old years here on the Tennis Podcast. Um, Matt, uh, thank you for that thorough research. Um, don't come back again. Genuinely we, we a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, have we got any shout-outs on this special day? We do, yes. Uh Dennis Curley, Seth Schwartzman, Ooh. and Adele. Oh, the, the Adele. The singer. May or may not be the Adele. Right. It's our but Adele. Our Adele, and thank you very much. Yeah, our Adele's way better than any other. So, you know. Uh, so thank you all for your for your generous support, uh, uh, without which we would we would struggle to have put the tennis podcast on in quite the way we we have over the over the years and obviously this year things have not exactly worked out as we planned and yet we are producing more podcasts than we ever have uh so hope you are enjoying them with us um thanks for listening and we'll be back again next week with more worst offs not quite as bad for us uh, those ones as these two uh, but we've enjoyed them anyway see you next week 